Welcome to Bandit's Keep. Uh, this will be a first for me. I have a guest here, Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. How are you doing, Jason? Excellent. Thank you for having me on, Daniel. You're welcome. I've been on the Nerds RPG Variety Cast many times, so uh, I, I thought, uh, who better to have as my first guest? <laughs> I really appreciate it. Yeah. And we're going to talk about a subject that's near and dear to my heart. That's right. Uh, fifth edition. No, Boot Hill. <laughs> So yes, fifth right, edition Boot Hill. Fifth edition Boot Hill. We have well, actually, you were looking at third edition, right? So we should probably talk. I didn't actually have a chance to look at it again, but so we've been going back and forth talking about the uh, unarmed combat in Boot Hill because we both love Boot Hill. The unarmed combat though seems it's too random for our taste, right? So we had kind of gone back and forth about some concepts. So I was just looking at it actually uh, this morning, and I guess I'll start because I was looking at it. Unless you have something. So we had talked about adding, an, like, if you wanted to build, so there's a couple different directions, right? Because there's also the call that you made, which I didn't fully respond to because I figured we'd talk about today. The idea of, like, if you remember that show, was it from the 70s? I don't know. It was uh, Kung Fu with uh, David Carradine. It had to be 70s. Yeah. yeah. You know, where he was basically this, uh, this you know, he was in the Wild West, but he used martial arts effectively as his... Uh, you know, his means to when whenever he uh, encountered somebody he had to uh, engage in combat with. And he, while you could have a character that always gets into fistfights, there's no way to kind of build that, even like build from the start, which you don't really do in Boot Hill, or even build up like by doing things in the game, right? There's nothing you can really do in the game to get better at unarmed combat. So we had thought about having, possibly adding an ability. And the one we had looked at was experience. Right, that was that was kind of weird. which I actually think as I'm looking at it again, I actually kind of like this as as a as an idea. So if, for people who don't know, basically when you in Boot Hill you start with a, you roll a d percentile, so you start off it's it's random, and you have experience. And I'm not going to read the whole chart, but like from one to forty, you've been in no gunfights, so you're minus ten on your uh, accuracy. I guess this. So if you did that for unarmed combat, where you're only rolling 2d10 and you did the exact same numbers, you would ab absolutely suck at unarmed combat if you were minus 10. So I think that was one of the things we were bouncing around in our heads. But this morning, maybe because I'm in a different mood, I actually kind of like that. I like the idea that you've never been in a fist fight before. So you put up your fist to fight somebody and you got to roll 2d10 and basically get 11 or better to be able to do anything. And even then you'd have to really roll like 18 or 19 to actually hit somebody. Right. It's yeah, it's interesting. So I've been running a scenario that you've played in um, that, that I designed for conventions. I, I've been running it a fair bit lately, and I ran it again last night as a time recording. Mm -hmm. And in that session, everybody was rolling pretty low. <laughs> so, so <laughs> like you say, for, for the unarmed combat, it's it's 2d10, you add them together. It, but um, sadly, we're getting a lot of results that were like eight and less with the two right. dice added. And with eight and less, you pretty much miss. <laughs> that's so correct the, and and so the problem was that it, this was kind of going on and and on which is okay but it it you know it'd be nice if there was some way and, and this is going to jump us ahead a little bit from what you're saying but it, it'd be nice if there's some way to influence that you know and i one person well so my high strength doesn't affect it i said nope not this part of the game it doesn't and uh um, right yeah because all hey. you can do in the base game rules is written it to affect it. well there's two ways it can be affected one is you can pick up a weapon and the mm -hmm. way the rules work if you pick a weapon up a one-handed weapon is a minus one to your to hit roll and a two-handed weapon is a minus two to your to hit roll but they do more damage the other right. way it can be affected is if you roll really well you might get a bonus well that's not, not true if you roll it on some attacks some results your opponent will get a negative their next round and if you roll really poorly, the opponent might get a bonus the next round. Um, I, right. There's no result where you can roll well enough for you to get a bonus. <laughs> it, oh, at least not? not in the base charts. Oh, okay. I, actually, you know, it's funny. I wasn't staring at the chart. But okay, so what I think is interesting here is, right, so that's, that's a lot of sense. Now, if we look at this experience table, and again, I don't think the numbers, so I think the numbers are fine, the minus 10, minus 5, 0, 0. Mm -hmm. I just think the spread is wrong. At first, I was looking at changing okay. the numbers. But I don't think that like no, I mean, you know, it's, I, I'm not going to say most people, but I think most people that would be in a Western, right, have been in some kind of a fight. So having 40% of the people have never been in a fight would be pretty low. So maybe if you shifted those numbers, because the other end of it is you only get a bonus when you've been in, uh, you only roll a 91 or higher, right? Because then you've been in like five fights. So 
if we took the exact chart that we have here and we just shifted the numbers so that let's say it was like one to 10 is no fights, you know, 10 to, to 20 is two fights and you move it up so that your, you know, five fights or you just change those numbers, I guess, uh, it becomes somewhere in the middle. So if you're rolling like a 60, you'll get a bonus. So right away, most characters will have either a zero or a bonus and only those characters that are very uh newbie or they roll really terrible <laughs> will not right and i also point out that what this does and this is why i bring it up now is that this actually kind of alleviates the problem you're talking about because if you've never been in a fight before and then you pick up a bottle you're not going to be good with it right but if you have been in a fight before and you've got that plus two now you can say i'm going to pick up a chair my plus two is going to remove that minus two and now i'm doing more damage because i'm more skilled so I actually think using a chart like this is 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 which we had kind of bounced around for is actually a good idea, uh, unless there's some other idea that you had thought of. I, I as I was looking at it this morning, I was like, I think the first thing we said is probably the best thing. Yeah, no, I and I really like the idea, and, and this will come later as I talk about some other as we talk about some other mechanics. But I, I like the idea, and you've talked about this in the past of using similar systems to what's already in the game, right. not to add, you know, additional systems that are totally foreign to the system the game we're using. So like, you know, adding in advantage, disadvantage, or things like that to a game where that never existed before. And so right. this is adjusting a system that's already in the game and already there. I, so, but effectively, to, to, to make sure we're clear, we're talking about not replacing the gunfight experience table, but adding a, that's a bar fight experience bar table. Bar fight experience table. And I think yeah. too, so there's a couple of different ways. So that the, the number one thing is the starting place, right? So we change mm -hmm. the percentile, which I don't know exactly where it would be, but you figure it out so there's like a median so that everybody's at zero if they're average. So your right. 50s are like zero. But the way it works is every single fight that you're in, it does jump up a category. So I wonder if instead of using that, which is fine, we could use that, you then you instead use what you use for the other ability scores that go up. So that is, there's a chart that says, um, if you, uh, I think it's your accuracy, yeah, your accuracy. Um, in, uh, your in experience, your, speed, and bravery. Yeah. So basically what happens is if you uh, are, let's say you have a 50 and uh, you, uh, hold on. Yeah, if you have a 50, mm -hmm. you get in one gunfight that you would add two to the percentile number, not to the number of fights, as opposed to, having a, a, you know, 50, which gives you four, and then you go to five, and now all of a sudden you have a bonus. So it's, you know, the progression will be a little slower if you do it that way. I, I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, I like the it, cleanness of it, it, just adding up the number of fights, but I think you might go up really quick. Uh, no, I agree with that 100%. I, I, agree. Yeah. I think that's the way to do it is to go the percentile score increase, mm -hmm. the, the way you're saying. And you can just use the existing table because yeah. the nice thing about the existing table is it, it does slow that progression as you get higher. You know, the better you exactly. are at it, the slower you progress. And then finally, once you hit the very top of the table, then you don't add anything. And I think I would have that 96 to 100 where you don't add anything right. for the bar fight table probably should be, you know, a bonus in its own category. So you do have some people that are going to be, you know, if, if they do roll 99, you know, bar fight right. initially, they are going to they can keep that advantage. Right. Right. Exactly. That in the the way the chart is right now, the advantage is plus ten, which is huge. Uh -huh. And if you roll a ninety nine or a hundred, let's say wherever you're going to put it, then you get there, and nobody else could ever get there because once you reach ninety six plus, no matter how many fights you're in, you don't go up anymore. That's right. a kind of a natural luck, basically <laughs> luck of the draw, uh -huh. as it would be. So I think that actually works out pretty well, and it would just be a matter of tinkering with that uh, that idea. But I, I think part of it, and again, I think that helps alleviate that other problem, which is that. Right. Shouldn't you have an advantage when you're using a bottle? <laughs> but only if you really know how to use it, right? It's mm -hmm. like we've seen, all seen, and I don't know how accurate this is because I'm no fisticuff person myself, but the idea of somebody like in a movie where somebody like draws a knife against the good martial artist and they just like look at him and take it away from him in two seconds, like that's the thing, right? Like you you are not a good fighter. So if you use a knife, then they're just going to still, you know, kick your butt, right? Right. No, I agree with that. And I think this is perfect. I, I think this works perfectly fine. Now, I guess the question is, so the other interesting thing about Boot Hill, it, you know, these tables, and I've been told, I've never played AD&D 2nd Edition, but I, that's not right. true. I've played in two games in the last, like, five years because other people were running it and said, hey, come join my game. And right. I played one session each. But the point is, I've never really read AD&D 2nd Edition, but I guess the unarmed combat in AD&D 2nd Edition is kind of lifted out of Boot Hill. These tables are really similar to those. So people who yeah. played AD&D 2nd Edition might be familiar with this. 
but yeah, in a way, these tables are super random. And right. <laughs> so, so the, the question we had talked about, like with martial artists, we talking before, and, and I guess so. I guess that there, oh, I right. guess there's yes. two questions Sorry. here. One is, do we treat the martial artist as just a good ballroom brawler, or do we have something separate for them? And two is, do you, if we had the martial artist as separate, can they pick their move? Because right now, like if you're on the grappling table, you might get an elbow smash, you might throw them, you might kick them, or you might get them in a bear hug. It just depends what you roll. You don't right. have any control over whether you're actually grappling or you're you're going to do a kick. Right. So I, I think that, uh, you know, for simplicity's sake, I don't know that I'd want to have moves just like you can't really pick where you're shooting somebody. I mean, there is aiming and stuff. And maybe you could say that, you know, maybe there'd be some penalty or delay or something. But uh, let's hold that for one second. I just want to talk about the second edition thing because it is similar. But I think that it kind of comes into what you're saying here. So in the second edition, I have it here um, in front of me. I have my book. Uh, OK, so it's on page 97. So the way it works is in second edition, you must make an attack roll and hit, okay? And then based on your attack roll, that determines what it is. So for instance, a nine, assuming a nine hits, is a combination, okay? Or if it's in wrestling, it's a leg lock. But a 16 is a glancing blow, right? Which is not necessarily as, as strong, right? And that's because if you hit them with a nine, you must be better at hitting them, right? And like, for instance, a 20 is a haymaker, which is, of course, because you're going to do that. But a 19 is a wild swing where you do no damage, right? But a uh, two is an uppercut that does two points of damage. <laughs> so, like, it's scaled so that if you're high level, that matters, right? Because, of course, the high level person is going to hit a lot more often. But they might, you know, if they roll a five and hit you, it's not like low damage, Whereas in the boot hill table, right, it's always the low number is always bad. But right. as far as the randomness, I think what we had talked about before, which I think is a good idea, is that if you have a bonus to your martial or your fighting, right, then I think you could control the number in that direction. So if you had like plus two, you could go up to or down to. Uh, it's up to you. I think picking a move would be a little bit more complex. And I don't know that then you're getting a top secret, which I love, but, <laughs> you know, and remember, there's no classes in Boot Hill, right? So for people who don't know this, so it's not like you're really picking to do that. It's more like you rolled high on your brawling table. So you're going to play your character like Kane. That's how I would do it, uh, just to keep it simple. Uh, but I don't know. What so, do you think? Would, would you allow uh, a choice? Well, I guess the question is, by allowing you to move it, can you move it up to, I, I guess. Yes, if, I'd allow, I would did, allow it to be moved. You can do up to your bonus, right? So if you have a bonus, yes. a plus 10, you're not stuck because effectively a plus 10 is less versatile than a plus two, right? But, right. Or not less versatile, but potentially because mm -hmm. you can only move it so far. But if you can do it anywhere from one to 10, then definitely that would show that versatility and that experience as a fighter. Right, exactly. But yeah, you would have up to your movement. Now, obviously, if you have yeah. a penalty, then it's just a penalty. So a minus no, would I'm just be yeah. minus. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, yeah, you want to be able to do that. Right. I, I mean, it does kind of suck. Right. But I also kind of think of it like this, like, let's say that you're going to try to put somebody in a headlock. Right. So it's like, in my mind, I want to put you in a headlock. I'm coming at you, but you move a certain way. And the best I can do is smash you with my elbow because I'm not going to not put you in a headlock. I'm going to do something. Right. So mm -hmm. in a way, the randomness I think does kind of uh, work on some level, um, I don't know. I, I, but so, yeah, I think having some ability, though, makes a difference, right? Because you don't always want a plus six because plus six might be might take you to throw where you what you really want is an arm lock. Right. So they can't shoot you. Right. So it's like what you want to do is grab their arms so they can't shoot you. But instead, you're throwing them, which then means they can shoot you the next round because you, you know, tossed them. One, you know, so, yes, I definitely think that uh, that's what I would do. So just be a matter of shaping those numbers, putting a little rule in there. I, but again, I think the penalty, I think when we first talked about it, we were like, well, maybe there shouldn't be any penalties, it should be zero. But I kind of like the idea of a penalty. Mm -hmm. I, I like the idea of this guy that just can't fight, you know, and he just gets, <laughs> you know, and then little by little gets better, you know, because they will, right? Because the way the tables, as you mentioned, if you had rolled, let's say, a 10, uh, you know, initially, so you were minus 10, um, as soon as you get in one fist fight, you're going to jump up uh, three, you know, each time. Mm -hmm. So it's like, even if you rolled a zero one, once you've gotten three fights, you did, you'd not be minus 10 anymore. You know, it would take you a little while to learn, I guess. <laughs> right. No, I, I really like that. And I yeah. do enjoy the randomness Yeah. and the players did too. And in all the games I've run of, you know, that scenario that I ran you through, everybody's enjoyed that. 
because yeah. we had a fist fight in each of those games in or you know a bar and brawl uh, and you know what the key was for the players to accept i need to roll see what the result is and then try to narrate because they were doing that right. premature imagination thing which like well i'm gonna pick him <laughs> up and do this but then yeah. oh i rolled that so no i i guess i didn't do that <laughs> it's all no, right you gotta, exactly you gotta see the dice before you narrate what you did yeah, I think that's a, right. Exactly. That that's kind of the uh, you know. I mean, you could say, I suppose, I'm going to try to punch him in the face, and then if you you know you get blocked or you know you right. do a combination, it's like, yeah, I got a good move. And so yeah, I think that that's true, right? Just for the role play aspect. I mean, because again, this is this was a miniatures game, you know, uh, straight up, and they probably weren't worried too much about that. You know, it was like I'm just rolling to knock the guy out. I just want the best roll I can get. But yes, if you're getting into the real role play play of it, and you're and you want to you know do something, you got to really think about it. But yeah, I think that's a pretty good solution. And I think it's a good example of just using what's there and making it work. Now, some people would say, well, shouldn't get it, shouldn't get a motive for strength. But I feel like you're just getting deeper and deeper into it. And, you know, there are big, bulky, strong people that can't fight, you know, because they don't land yeah. a good punch. And you're getting a bonus for strength because strength is effectively your hit points. So right. by having higher strength, you're harder to knock out. But that brings me to something else that, that's related to this. What I've been doing. And it might, I might need to change it because I'm going to use this rule that we've talked about once we figure out the brawl chart, the brawl experience chart. I'm going to start using this from now on forward. But what mm -hmm. I've been doing is, in, is using the stunning chart as well. Ah. So, and, and typically what, what I'll do is if somebody picks up a, a chair or they pick up a, a bottle, you know, whiskey, full whiskey bottle or something and say, I'm going to knock them on the head with it and they roll and they get a, they actually connect. Then I say, okay, well, we're going to roll in the, to see if you stunned them or not. And just, you know, so like a whiskey bottle, I'd count as a gun gun butt, so they'd have a 20% chance of, of knocking them out. Or, you know, chairs on the, the chair has 30% chance of knocking them out, you, you know, by the book. But I guess, w do we adjust that? Because I like the idea of, of being able to hit somebody on the head in the fight and knock them out. But, of course, none of these results, you know, have you hitting anybody in the head, you know, because they don't have a hit location built into any well, of the unarmed combat. I, I think, though, if you look at when you, I'm looking at the stun chart now, if you mm -hmm. look at it from the hit from behind, surprised, that's the knockout, right? I, I think if somebody's right. facing you, like you rarely see, I mean, in fiction, I don't know in life, mm -hmm. but you rarely see somebody like facing you and they have a bottle and they swig and hit you and they knock them out. That's always a crack them over the head from behind, you know, kind of move. Right. So, I mean, you're looking at 60%, mm -hmm. you know, so I feel like that's a pretty high percentage, just flatten somebody. So I, I think that's fine. I, and, you know, and and yeah. also, uh, you know, I mean, you could you could add something based on the damage you do, but I feel like, you know, it, it, uh -uh. yeah, I, no, I don't think, I think I this would, chart's uh, fine as it is. Yeah, and I like that chart. I think that's actually, if you weren't going to change anything, I think the chart is the other thing that makes using a chair or something worthwhile, right? Because <laughs> a chair is thirty percent or seventy percent of him from behind, so you know, <laughs> that's pretty good. So, <laughs> yeah, so you would do it if you hit him with the weapon. Even facing them, like with the chair, you would get just give them a thirty percent if it connected. To, that's right, because that's you know the guy yeah. puts his arms up and you know the chair shatters across their arms, or he doesn't, and then he gets knocked out. <laughs> you know that's kind of it. Again, you narrate after you roll what happens. But that's no, how I would I'm do with it. That. I, no, I think that makes yeah, sense. I think that yeah. fixes. Well, we'll see. Of course, there'll be more play testing, but I, but I, I think this is a great modification that keeps the spirit of the rules and might help fine tune this brawling system. To be a little more fun and, and speed it up a little bit too, right? Exactly. That's the other thing. You don't want right. Missing is is you know back and forth missing it because you do have a pretty decent chance to just like miss, right? I mean, you're talking uh, an average roll on two d ten, right? Would be like eleven, and that's mm -hmm. glancing below, which only does one point of damage. Your average fighter, I think, has like at least twelve or thirteen, even the lowest end of them. So that's going right. to take a long time to put somebody out like that, <laughs> you know. And of course, everything below that is you 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 miss, right? So You've got at least a 50% uh, chance you're not going to do anything. And then your average is only going to be one point. I think even yeah, the most devastating thing is uh, uh, the Haymaker, which is only four points. So, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well awesome. Well, I think we I think we fixed that. And I agree with you. I don't <laughs> think we need something different for the martial artist. The, no. You know, it's one of those things. With this game, really, because you have random character generation, right. you kind of have to – you can't have your heart set, this is what I'm going to play. You, you right. can maybe personality wise, but you pretty much need to roll the stats to see how they fall out. If somebody has, you, you know, their throwing accuracy ends up being a super high score and their gun accuracy is super low, then at that point you make them, oh yeah, well he threw knives with the traveling circus or whatever. 
but you, you can't right. determine that before you roll your tributes because you have no clue what you're going to end up with. Right. And assuming that you're going to play the character over several uh, sessions, like a dozen sessions or something, you can try to mold a character by mm-hmm. doing the thing that you need to do because you will get, if you get in more gunfights, you get better at gunfighting, right? If you get in more fights, fist fights, you get better at fist fighting. So you, on some level, you can actually shape the character in play, which is nice, but there's no classes, right? So you can't really, you can't build a character, I guess, is the way, I guess, which for some people, maybe that's not, uh, ideal but i don't know what you do because i have seen western games and no, no we're going sideways here where like there's classes and it's like oh i'm the gunfighter i'm the barmaid or whatever i don't know i, I never was a fan of that per se because i kind of almost think like of and, and me who is a class person like i like class-based systems that i feel like that when you're playing a western everybody's just basically a western person and they all fit into the same mold because there's not really those i mean there are archetypes but you can play an archetype no matter what, right? You could be a lawman and still be a terrible aim, right? You could be, uh, you know, a, a bandit and and be uh, not be brave, right? Or whatever. I mean, you could have play, play them all different ways, so. Right. I, I agree. And I, I think I like class and level system for fantasy. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of it for all genres. Right? right. Like, I don't think it really fits all genres. And Western's one of those genres I don't think the class and level system fits very well. Yeah, if you're trying to, like, squeeze, like, people into classes, you're probably going, the, as you're building a system, you're probably, go, maybe should rethink it. You know, because sometimes you just don't need to do that, right? If you're playing, sci-fi is another one, right? It's like, mm-hmm. do you really need classes? I mean, I like careers for that, you know, stuff like that, which we've talked about before. So, <laughs> if you're willing to entertain it, there are a couple other Boot Hill kind of things I wanted to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Potential house rules. And you mentioned, you, you know, accuracy there. So, let's talk a little bit about that. So, the other two things that have been coming up in my games have been when we've talked a little bit before i don't know if it was in on air or just our personal conversations but we've talked about the sharpshooting rules in food hill before right and and the and the rules for that so in the game just for folks that aren't familiar basically you have to be at least a crack shot to, to be able to take any kind of aim. so basically the sharpshooting rules work the same way we've just described where you can either add you know add or subtract a certain value to move the random hit location to try to hit what you're aiming at. But to do that, you have to have an accuracy score of 96 or higher. <laughs> so, right. it, and, and you can't raise your score through experience that high. So really, if you don't start with having rolled 96 to 100, you're not going to be able to do the sharpshooting rules by rules as written. And that keeps you from doing iconic things like shooting a gun out of somebody's hand, which, which is fun in a Western. Agreed. Yeah. I'm looking for them now to remember. So, so uh, the way 13. I was, which one? Which one? Thirteen. Okay. Yes. Twenty-one. Oh, in the uh, I see it. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. So. All right. Right. So they basically they, they get a bonus automatically, right? Okay. They can pick an exact area, mm-hmm. and there's a certain. Uh, oh, I see how that works. Okay. Yeah. So what I was doing, and I think we did it in a game that you might have played mm-hmm. in. I just allow anybody to do it. But they they choose up front what the penalty is going to be, and that's how much they can move the dice. So if they choose a minus 30, they can move the dice 30 up to, you know, anywhere in that range, which I think is works fine. I mean, what else? Uh, do you have a different idea? Or is that no, what you're also I, doing? I like yeah. that idea, and that's yeah. – I had been using that in my games. I, I'm probably going to start incorporating that. I just – I didn't remember if we had talked about that on the air or just, you know, I don't think we actually talked about it. I share but, that with listeners. Yeah, no, th- yeah, thank you. I, yeah, I think that, you know, because, right, everybody wants to try to shot. And even if, right, you could you could be like, all right, well, I'm a terrible aim, terrible shot, but I'm going to try to shoot their hat off. Well, you know, you're going right. to be subtracting and, you know, that could be a problem um, because you might miss, basically. Because, I, I mean, I guess the ideal thing would be that uh, if you really want to make it, like, more punishing, you could have it somehow go a direction they don't want if they fail. But I didn't want to go that far. You know, it's like, oh, you try to shoot the head off, so you hit him in the face. It's like, no, you just, you miss, right? Because you're aiming mm-hmm. too high or whatever. But no, I, I guess if- that. the other. So this kind of goes into the other thing that has come up in my games, mm-hmm. although we've just kept doing it randomly, and that's firing at mounted targets. Because of a suggestion right. you made to my scenario, now th- there's more gunmen on horses than there were when I originally designed it. So right. the, the way the rules work for mounted targets are if you're shooting at somebody on a horse, you roll percentile dice to see if you hit the tar- the man or the horse 
if you roll zero to 60, you hit the rider. If you roll 61 to 100, you hit the horse. And then mm -hmm. they flip that. If you say, I want to shoot the horse out from under him, then zero to 60, you hit the horse, and 61 to 100, you hit the, the rider. But with Daniel's rule here, where you can add or subtract a certain amount, you could say, I'm shooting at the rider. I don't want to hit the horse, and I'm going to subtract 40 from my roll, at which point you either hit the rider or you won't, but you won't have any chance to hit the horse. So that would kind of fix that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and I, and I, I think I, I think I used this in one of the scenarios where they did shoot at people's horse. I think I just used it randomly because it's in the rule. But, um, but I thought to myself that if you were aiming, I mean, I don't know. Again, I'm not, I don't claim to be a, any kind of a, a marksman. Um, but I think if you were aiming at the horse, the chance of hitting the rider would seem to be much lower, but I guess I just want to keep it simple. I mean, the horse is so much bigger than a rider, right? Right. And, but I guess and the other moving. thing, yeah, although there, I, I guess you should have a chance of hitting the rider's legs, or even if you weren't, you, you yeah. know, like a, a pass through or something, but w without getting too technical on any of this stuff. We're, well, we're exactly. That, that's the thing. When you, here. Right. When you're doing random ga uh, games, it's like how much, it's like any game, right? It's like how precise do you want to be? You want to stay with the spirit of the game, which does have a lot of randomness to it. Right. The, the other thing with bounded targets, though, and it's in the rules here, is if the horse is hit, it has a 40% chance of bolting and running in a random direction modified by circumstances from the referee. And so I've kind of bumped up against this a couple of times because we've had horses shot. And what I'll do is I'll roll that 40%. And what, what I've been doing, and pro this probably isn't the way to do it, so I'd like to get your input. What I've been doing is rolling that, and if we roll 40% or less, the horse is going to bolt. But I've given the rider a chance to control the horse. Mm -hmm. And so what... What do we use? And I've been using experience. I've been using the percentile score and experience because that seemed like the most thing. But I wonder if instead of doing that, we don't add their experience, some kind of bonus, like the experience bonus, just to that 40% roll. That would speed it up. And it would keep, because somebody with high experience, somebody that's been in, say, six gunfights, has an experience, like already experience a 90-something. Yeah, if you have six gunfights, you, you have a, a base experience of 94. So you're right. always going to control the horse. But if we added the, and so I've talked myself through my answer, if, <laughs> if yet, but you have a plus two from six gunfights. So if you have six gunfights, there's a 40, there's a 38% chance the horse would bolt in, instead of a 40. So, so right. I guess that answers my own question. Unless you Yeah, no, I like idea. that. Sometimes that's the best way to do it is talking out. I often am sitting there yeah. just talking to myself and going, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of how I was looking at things this morning. I was like, oh, you know, uh, you know, he's talking about the bottle and how would I work that out? Then I was looking at the experience thing. I'm like, this kind of makes it work. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think I, that's, that's probably what I would do. Yeah. Or if somebody specifically said when they made their characters, like I breed horses or something, you know, if, if it's something that the character does that I might just allow it. That's what I've done in the past. But I think this is a good just baseline if nobody's, you know, if you go on generic cowboy, right? Like what would what would you do? And right. yeah, that seems reasonable. I mean, and, I, and the most you're ever going to get is a plus 10. You know, mm -hmm. if you've been in 11 or more gunfights. So if you uh, if you get there and you've been in a lot of gunfights, then you're going to still have a 30% chance the horse is going to run, which is reasonable because even, a, you know, an expert gunman. You could also make it based on the horse type because remember, there's different horses. You do pay more for better horses. So, Right. So a better horse would have a less chance of bowling right. out from exactly. the drive. Yeah. And I think that's where you get into the referee desk to just make a call, right? Uh -huh. Like an excellent horse with an experienced rider is probably not going to bolt. But I might say something like, uh, you're going to have to spend your turn, you know, getting the horse, you know, stable. And then that would right. probably be how I would deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what I've done is that next turn, they, they I've had them kind of ride in a circles or trying to get a control of the horse. So if somebody still wants to shoot, then they could. Right. But, but they that rider wouldn't be shooting. I, yeah. I guess my last question for you. And I know I'm throwing a lot of questions at you here. Oh, that's good. Is I've tried, I've used most of the rules in the book. And, and mm -hmm. I even like whether mark advanced or optional, they, they pretty much all work and, and they're easy to incorporate in and use. What I haven't ever used, although it looks like it would work okay, is the alternate first shot determination. Have you ever messed with that? Okay. And is that the one where like page, you shoot um, and then they shoot? 21. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The, where, where it changes. And because the other thing it changes, are the negatives for taking multiple shots. Oh, okay. If you have a high enough speed, you don't get negatives for firing multiple shots. Oh, well, <laughs> hey there. I have not used it. Um, okay. I, mostly because I find that 
And I, I've had this problem too uh, when I've run like AD&D where you have, or, or Slashing Swordsman Sorcerers, where you have that like three to two combat. It's like, well, one happens at the beginning, then one happens at the end, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, I almost never do it that way because you end up, I end up forgetting as the referee. And then it's like, come to the next round and the person's like, I didn't get to take my other attack, you know, because in AD&D, because you play AD&D as written, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have a three, two combat on the roll, on the round that you have two attacks, you attack at the beginning and at the end, you don't attack right. both times at once. Yeah. So, but that's what this would be like, right? It's like, you got to go back and forth and I just feel like I would forget. <laughs> Yeah, so what's interesting with this, and I like it in theory, I haven't used it, but so if, you, if you're if you quite a bit faster, if you're 10, mm-hmm. 10 points or more above the other character's speed, you can fire all three shots before they get one shot off. Because nice. the max rate of fire for any of the weapons in this game, not counting a Gatling gun, but any of the personal weapons is three. Um, right. Now, if, if you have an SP of five points more, then you'll get two shots off, then they'll get one shot off, and then you get your third shot off. And then it goes mm-hmm. down to where, you know, you're just trading one shot for one shot till, till they all come off. Um, yeah, I kind of like this. I guess the I guess the thing is, and this is why I probably wouldn't use it, is because I think it's most effective if you're just having like a showdown. Mm-hmm. If you get into a big group fight, then it becomes like, well, hold on. Who is he fighting against? And who, you know, is do the fastest people always go against each other? Is that just the way it is? You know, do, how do they know that? You know, this kind of stuff. So I, I think that that might be a little bit more uh tricky to to adjudicate right because you'd have to look at it and be like okay well who's the fastest and then who's the next fastest and do they have to shoot at them because that's how it works or could they shoot somebody else or what if the second fastest guy wants to shoot at the slowest guy could they shoot all three of their shots before you know right so i think that's the only reason in a big in a big fight i think it could get confusing for me maybe not in a miniatures uh table but i feel like third of the mind which is how i often run these things I'd have to, where, where is it again? What page? Sorry. Uh, oh, so we're page 21 of the PDF, page 13 in the book. Oh, 13. And it's right okay. above sharpshooting. Oh, okay. So I like totally, because yeah. like, I yeah, didn't so see 21, I went the wrong way. I'll, yeah. uh, I'll just, and three is where it gets funky. Um, number three under that. But okay. so I would probably, yeah, after hearing you talk that out, I think what I would do is keep the normal rules for any big fights. But if there is a showdown in the street, a one-on-one gunfight, I think I probably would incorporate these. Yes. Not only do they, you, you know, make it a little more interesting. It also gives a character that's a little bit slower a chance to get a shot off before they have to absorb three shots. So, so it might give them a, a better chance to survive in that. Right. No. I, yeah. Looking at it quickly, I, which you described really perfectly, it sounds like this is all exactly the way you said it. Um, I, I, yeah, I think exactly that. I would do it on a, on a mm-hmm. very small scale, or just we're facing off against each other. Or possibly even one person facing off against multiple people mm-hmm. in a group. Because then again, you know who they're shooting, so you don't have to determine. But if there's ever more than one target for more than one attacker, let's say like five against five, I think it would just be trickier to keep track of, especially the numbers. And I feel like I would, unless I was, maybe in person, again, with miniatures, it'd be easier to keep track of. But I feel like in my yeah. head, it would be hard for me to do that. And I would just be all over the place. So, yeah, I think for one-on-one, that's a really good rule. Um, because it does give you that thing, right? Because we often tend to see gunfights, right? In movies, it's like, you, it seems like both guns fire at the same time. And, mm-hmm. you know, very rarely is it like they didn't even draw their gun before he got him shot down, unless it's like a really fast fighter against somebody who's average. But you get two good fast fighters that are within... Because in theory, the way Butoh works, if you don't use this, is that if you were just like one point faster than the guy, you could shoot all three of your shots before they get to shoot once, right? Which means that you're basically right. going to kill them unless you just are terrible aim or you roll very terrible... So speed becomes that. It's almost like dexterity in some games, right? Speed becomes the most important factor. So this helps uh, mellow that out a little bit, which I kind of like. Right. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, and and folks, the the good thing is, you know, you can pick this up if, if you're willing to, you, you know, if you're willing to give Watsi some money, you can pick the PDF or print on demand up for pretty cheap. The original copies are out there in the used market. They're kind of expensive now, sadly. Um, oh, are they? I'm boot- glad I got my box set when I did then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I am too. I've, I've got. I, I don't have it from back in the day, but I rebought the box set maybe yeah, five years ago or so. So, but Boot Hill Second Edition is a really great game, and it covers. You know, we haven't talked about it here. There's no reason to talk about it here, but there's intoxication rules, there's gambling <laughs> rules, there's track. You know, there's morale rules that are built into the game. They're, they're pretty much yeah. anything you need, especially for one shots or, or short campaigns. You know, it, it's it's a really neat game, and I think with these minor modifications we've talked about today. 
it fixes the couple bumps I found in the system to, um, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm I agree. So this. you can get our boot hill supplement, uh, <laughs> called hill boots. That's <laughs> so we don't get yeah. sued. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think what's funny about this game. And I remember, um, uh, early on when I was got back into playing again, I bought it. This was probably going to be like six, seven years ago. And I brought it to one of the D and D sessions, uh, you know, Andy from, uh, especially to the Grizzly uh -huh. Peaks. He was right. He was our DM. And I showed it to him, he's like, oh yeah, we, we played that like once and like everybody just died the first time. <laughs> he's like, everybody just shot each other. And I thought, wow, we really didn't play like that because I think the game is a miniatures game, right? So the temptation is just to have gunfights, but there is a lot of cool stuff in here. And I remember playing this because we were very much into Westerns when I was a kid, uh, playing this like full campaigns, like we had cattle and we'd go on these like, you know, uh, journeys across the thing, exploring new territories and stuff. So you can do a lot with it if you're open to a game that's more... You got to take most of the non-combat stuff and just use narrative, you know, role play with it. And, and if you're if you're somebody that needs skills for all the different things, it, it it is a little bit slim. Although there is tracking and stuff in here, so I mean, you right. can do yeah. stuff like that. I mean, it's it's surprising what's in this game. There's a lot of stuff in here. So yeah, and, and this mm -hmm. is one of the so second edition is it's what like seventy nine, I think. It, it has a few things added to first edition, but it's yeah. primarily the same game as first edition. They did adjust a few things. Originally, the hand-to-hand -hand table is D6s, not D10s. And yeah, and the bonuses like to that. the player character generation is a little higher, I've noticed, in second, like what you get added mm -hmm. to the rules. Um, but I, I mean, I haven't compared rule to rule, but otherwise, yeah, they look pretty similar. Um, and that one really is a miniatures game. Like the first edition is, right. is really marketed as a miniatures game. This one, I think they were... They knew that role playing was a thing, so they were trying to like kind of put it in that uh, kind of uh, frame. Although it did mm -hmm. come with a map and chits and stuff, so yeah. Yeah, and and if you if if somebody out there just loves D twenty and, and and isn't a fan of the percentile system, you know, third edition Boot Hill is not a horrible game. I know you haven't re, <laughs> re looked at it, but a lot of the fighting mechanics, the gunfights and the and the fist fights and all, they they did kind of just take this and, and switch it down to fit a D20, which percentage-wise isn't hard because right. a lot of these modifiers are 5 and 10 and 15 anyway, so it's pretty easy to to convert to D20. And then they do have a, a full-fledged skill system and all that in, in 3rd edition. Um, and th the other thing 3rd edition has that was less necessary for us, our generation, is 3rd edition gives you a good setting background and talks about the West and talks about all that. Where right. Boot Hill Second assumes that you grew up watching westerns every <laughs> on TV all the time, so you right. you don't need to know all that because you already know it. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I think we talked about this. When we talked about this once with Top Secret, where like, like if it doesn't give you a whole lot, like it kind of assumes that you are buying this game because you are into this genre and you know about it. But yeah, mm -hmm. when you think about it, like yeah, looking at it, it's like yeah, it doesn't really say much here. <laughs> but, you know, you, but you, you to be fair, understand. it does say some. It does talk about yeah. running campaigns. Sure. And it does, second edition does, and it does it does give you rules for doing all of that. So oh, one hundred percent. Just but like I think top it, secret did, yeah. right? I, yeah, it, but I think just, it is definitely yeah. kind of uh, the idea is that like there's nothing here. Say, I mean, I don't know. I guess I haven't read all the little bits of it lately, but I don't think there's any part where it kind of says, well, you know, a typical role you might have is a a cowboy, or possibly you're a banker, or you do like it, it doesn't get into that. It just kind of you know, it just kind of says, assumes that you're gonna. I mean, it does do talk about gambling and some of the other stuff. So there are professional gambling rules and there are um, dynamite and stuff and all the other. So I guess that goes into mining. Yeah. Right. And in the campaign section, it does, it, 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 it there's a paragraph about roles, right? They say, Oh, okay. characters might be large ranchers, outlaw leaders, sheriffs, Indian chiefs, cavalry commanders, oh, yeah. and so on. But that's oh, really yeah, all yeah. it does. <laughs> you know, you oh, yeah, so yeah, it does say that. <laughs> yeah. so, they, so it says it, but it, it definitely assumes, you know, what all those things are and what, life for those different you know di different jobs are so obviously right. if, if you don't know a whole lot about the cavalry and you watch a lot of movies and you're not gonna really sure you know you're gonna have to research what garrison life was like and what life on the campaign was like and same thing with ranchers and outlaws and you know so you're gonna have to now it does give you a i, I think this has a appendix in it maybe not i was gonna it, say it what i was looking a... for because i i love that the a lot of the older games had like you know further reading in the back i'm trying to see this PDF doesn't seem to have it. Let me look at the actual book here. Yeah, Boot Hill 3rd Edition does have uh, appendix in. Uh, effectively, it, it gives you further reading and watching. Um, now, the so the PDF does have the conversion for AD&D, which, which is pretty great <laughs> in here, So, nice. which is also in the DMG, of course. Um, 
Yeah, there's not a a, a media recommendations in Boot Hill Second Edition, sadly. Um, yeah. Third Edition has a short one. Yeah, it's, it's like they, they do have like a, a little like a campaign area, I guess. Mm-hmm. But again, it's very sparse. So, yeah, you could definitely set up a campaign here with Promise City and some of the areas around and there's a map and all kinds of other things. So I guess it is there. Right. It's just uh, it's not as fleshed out. I, I Again, I haven't looked at third edition, so I don't. Right. I had a long time. I, mean, I bought it. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. Third edition, yeah. some of the, <laughs> the some of the films in here. I mean, they've got, of course, your classic ones. And, you know, and, and of course, we have like Capaloo in here and we have um mm-hmm. Of course, they have High Noon and Hondo and The Good Band, The Ugly, um, Butch Cassidy, Sundance Kid. Um, yeah. When did that and, come out, the third the edition? The third edition, 1990, maybe? Uh, it, it was, it was 90s because it's when they came out and they were trying to re reassert their you, you know, their trademarks or whatever because they did the same thing with Gangbusters. They, but oh. Although, third quote-unquote, third edition Gangbusters was really the exact same rules as the earlier gangbusters, they just reprinted it all in one book. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. 1990s when the, oh, okay. the date on third edition, but Boot yeah. Hill third edition, Steve Winter did it. And, and what he did is he was effectively, that's what they're doing. They're saying, we're going to republish these things. And, and, and I have this I, on, on, from talking to somebody that talked to Steve about this. I don't know if they want me to mention their name, the person that my source, so I'll protect my source. But, um, but is that Steve told him that, you know, he was approached with the same thing. We're just going to republish Boot Hill to, you know, keep control of Boot Hill. So just, you know, if you want to clean up a couple things. And Steve basically threw in all his house rules and converted D20 and added. It, it was kind of a labor of love because <laughs> Steve Winter, I guess, loved Boot Hill. And, and they came out and they're like, oh, this is selling out. We're going to have to do reprints. And what did you do? And they, they kind of almost got angry at him because it was successful. <laughs> and he did such a good job with it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think what, what I bounced off of was I was looking for second edition, you know. Yeah. And I think I hadn't bought the box set yet, but I think I picked up third edition as a PDF maybe. I can't remember how I got it first. And because uh, maybe it went on drive through before second edition did. And uh, I looked at it and I saw the skills and the D20 and this and that. And I was just like, eh, it's not what I wanted. I wanted the nostalgia. So I went out and got the box set and and, and I just, I like second edition. So I do have a PDF though of third. So maybe I should look at it. I just, you know, I never felt like skills were that necessary. Uh, oh, Be- I agree. I Boot Hill second edition. For this. Yeah. I, I can't see ever running third unless I had a group that just or, or just do as an experiment. But my boot hill is second edition, and that's the one I'm always going to default to. Is second yeah. edition. If I want to do a more complicated Western game, I'm just going to jump all the way up to aces and eights. And aces right. and eights is a ton of so it's Kenzerco, people do Hackmaster, and it's tons of subsystems, really complicated, um, very, very detailed. And, you know, it's got the shot clock, which is actually like a, a targeting overlay where you have this overlay. It looks like a dartboard. You put on, over, you know, put it on silhouettes of the targets and they have silhouettes of people in all kinds of positions and cover and all kinds of things. And then you roll to see where you hit. And, and then it has, you know, detailed damage with penetration. So depending on, and this came up when I ran Aces and Eights for my birthday game last year, is somebody shooting a rifle and it had enough penetration. It hit him in the arm and it right. went through his arm and into his chest, so it still killed him. Or if he's using something that didn't have as much penetration, it wouldn't have gone through the arm, and it would have stopped in the arm. So it actually, I mean, it's super detailed. But, yeah, but if I just want to run a one-shot of a Western, I'm going to pull out Boot Hill because it's fast and fun. And people automatically, almost all the players I've ever played this game with automatically slide into the personas they see from Western movies and TV right. shows, and they, they automatically start talking like the, you know, the characters there. And it, it's really easy for everybody to slide into these western stereotypes now not all western stereotypes are good things That's but like true. i don't use native americans typically in my boot hill games or anything the bad guys yeah. are always bandits or train robbers or you know bank robbers things like that bad yeah, sheriffs, same things like that so yeah i, I agree that that makes sense uh, you know it because of course just because it's happening during a certain time period and certain things exist it doesn't mean that you have to have them in your game so right. uh yeah i definitely i, I shy away from that as well I, I have no need to to bring that into the game so yeah i think bandits are good i, I was you know or you could be a bandit, right? Robin Banks and mm-hmm. stuff, and you can do other things. So, yeah, I, but I think it, the game is there in such a, it's a good example of a very basic game that you can do so much with if you have the right group. And like I said, it's easy to slide into it because it's very, even though there's no archetypes, there is kind of the archetype of the Western town. And everybody can kind of imagine, you know, what character they'd play in that that town and, and kind of go for it. Especially when you roll characters, you're not like you're thinking, oh yeah, I'm gonna you know be a two two gun you know 
you know, shooter and then you roll like somebody who has a high throwing accuracy. Then you're like, okay, what it, what am I? Why am I? You know, and then you have to think of something and it becomes kind of an interesting uh, role play, you know, experience. So very cool. Yeah, definitely. Well, so Daniel, thank Hill. you so much for inviting me on to talk about Boot Hill. Yeah, very, very happy to have you. Yes, it was super fun. We'll have to do it again. I know we were talking about doing another one about some OD&D stuff, so we'll have to uh-huh. do another one. But uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, if uh, if everybody's not following the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, please do. Do you have anything else to pitch? No, not really. Um, well, I do. No I, Kickstarters. And, and so this is, what, what's that? No Kickstarters. Uh, crowdfunding. <laughs> So, so there, there are ones I'm talking about on my show. I'm not, okay. I, they're, they're not mine. So ah. I, I don't, there, there are some neat things coming up actually. So, so since you asked, I, I will. Cool. On February 1st, um, Joe Salvador, Raven Guy Games has a Kickstarter coming out and I am pushing it over on my show and I don't actually have it handy because I wasn't That's ready That's for the Reaver? It, well, so Reaver isn't else. being Kickstarted yet. That's a sword okay. and sorcery game. You can get the quick, quick start for free on drive to rpg right now mm-hmm. and i highly recommend everybody go check that out it's a really interesting game it uses a, a a die chain mechanic it's not d20 based or anything so it's a die oh. chain kind of like dcc and that's the core mechanic of the game so reaver the quick starts well, let's pay what you want so go check that out definitely but joe also has a kickstarter coming out for you know zine month or whatever in february and it's called darkness in the demi mode i'm pronouncing that wrong but it's victorian pole par is what it Ooh, is that's and, and it, it's really interesting and, and i will share with you uh the link to it yeah and, and i'll put it in the show put, notes there yeah if you want to put in the show notes you can so so i'd recommend people go check that out um and and yeah and if you go over to my show i'm you know talk about some other friends stuff but i, I don't want to push all that here the other thing i do want to push though is your actual play channel because you're you're, you're right now you're doing a solo ODD campaign both with a mapper and now you've created parties and the parties are going out there and, and only the first video of the actual party adventures out, but, mm-hmm. uh, but you have at least two more in the pipeline coming yes, seven and eight are coming. Yes. Seven or eight are coming. Yeah. <laughs> you, you will learn that OD and D is a harsh mistress <laughs> as they come up. That's the warning on that one. So uh, it's, it's very, it's very fun and uh, I'm enjoying it. And what's interesting about playing solo is that you get to do some of the things that, maybe aren't the things that you would do at a table with a group. Like some of the things that maybe wouldn't be, I don't want to say not as fun, but I will say it, you know, because as a group, sometimes there's different things that are more interactive, right? And, uh, you know, sometimes moving across the terrain is not the most exciting part of the game, you know, the dungeon is or whatever. But when you're playing by yourself and you're using the mechanics and you're seeing how it works out, it can actually be quite the, because uh, what ends up happening, in my experience, when you have a group of people and you're doing a hex crawl, after like the third time that they encounter something and they're like, we have to run because we're probably going to die if we encounter it. They're just like, no, we're going to fight it because they just get, they're just done, you know? And then they get, mm-hmm. you know, they get wiped or whatever. Or they have to, you know? So it's like, it's like, no, there's a dragon. You don't fight the dragon. But as a solo person, you're just like, nah, I'm not really worried about fighting the dragon. I'm just going to move on. So it's super well, fun. Nothing. There might be dragons fought. Who knows? <laughs> no. And, and, and the way, it, cause the way it mixes in with OD and D and then outdoor survival and the, the ability to, you know, so it's not so much, oh, we counter 400 goblins. Now we have to fight them. It's, right. well, now we have to run from them and evade them. And, That's right. And it's, it's just really neat the, the way the system works. Now, I haven't, well, like I say, you're, you're, where they've gotten into the dungeon hasn't been published yet on your page. Maybe That's by right. the time this interview comes out, it, it will be out. But, but I do recommend people go check all that out because it's, you know, it, it definitely gets interesting once they actually get inside the dungeon. Or the team. Yeah, what, yeah. There's a lot yeah. of stuff that happens, and so I'm I'm basically using. If you're not following, it's how I pitch my own thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm using outdoor survival, and I'm using chainmail. I'm basically using all the stuff that they tell you to get when you buy the three little brown books. I'm using it as as close as possible to the original source with my modifications to chainmail, obviously, to make it actually flow better. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and that'll come up a lot more, obviously, once they get it to actually start fighting and stuff. So, and on that note, just while I'm here, uh, so they did. There was a point where they encountered this goblin thing they're talking about there was like a bunch of goblins and of course they they ran but now i know it's there so i've started painting up some two millimeter figures and we're gonna have a chainmail battle where you know they send an army to fight these goblins because it's 400 goblins right you're not gonna send eight adventurers to fight them <laughs> so that right. should be fun too and i'll put that on there as well the my idea is to build a whole world using all the different systems and to show how i'm not gonna say people played like this but theoretically how you could have played with like this like domain level stuff with wars and so it's really fun 
Well, well, and and you can do like um like Chicago Wiz does. Um, Mike, I'm going to butcher his last name here, but but if people go, you can find he has a blog and mm-hmm. he has a podcast. Um, what was it? Something, Dungeon, Dungeon Master's, Master's Handbook. Handbook. Yeah. And 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 he has done for years and years and years. He's done this. Now he doesn't use chainmail per se, but but he's been running this game where he's using like OD and D, and then he has like the war game on the side, and he has multiple. But it's one world. And so the yep. war games actually take place in the world and they affect the events of the world and different parties are affecting the events of the world. And, and he does that the same thing. Like he'll go to a convention. If you run something at a convention, whatever happens, the convention is part of the game world and that those effects can spread out into the world kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, pretty awesome. You got to roll back a bit. I think it's probably got to be at least two years, maybe three years back. He actually has like a series of maybe three mm-hmm. podcasts where he talks about using the war games. And it's one of the first things I actually listened to when I was, like adding wargamey stuff into my campaign because it was I, I found his podcast and it's really good and obviously the Chicago Wiz blog is great he does the three hex thing to kind of show you I can build I really really recommend that a lot yeah yeah definitely cool so awesome so there's a lot of great cool. people out there and you should follow <laughs> them all when you have time to it seems like Jason follows all of them I do my best but I get lost in the the masses I can't, I can't listen to things at double speed like you do yeah yeah I I can listen to most things at double speed which is what I do. Right. And even like for sadly for YouTube videos, um, I like today I've I've been watch I'm off so I've been watching them at home so I'm actually watching the videos. But typically I pay for the whatever the premium YouTube is called YouTube Premium whatever so I can mm-hmm. download videos on my phone. So what I'll do is I'll just listen to your actual plays as I'm driving in the car at right. you know double. So do I do, do I but, describe it correctly then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm following along. I think I mean yeah, it's yeah. but so when I'm actually watching the video today, I saw that for the for your dice box, for your die roller, you're using Shut the Box, which is great because I've got we play Shut the Box here. My wife, my wife, that's a game she'll play. So <laughs> that's, that's what that's called. Somebody asked me that they're like, "Where'd you get your dice play?" I'm like, "That's actually a game somebody gave me." <laughs> yeah, it's, it's called so Shut fun. the Box. It's an old yeah. sailor game, is what it is. Yeah, um, yeah I love that little box. Talking- it, it, it came with two little dice. I used to just use those two little dice, but then I've been using bigger dice. You can see them better. better. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, because you're rolling and trying to get combinations of you know there are different number combinations, and you can. That, that's yeah. why yeah, those numbers there on the you know on the thing. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I've I've played it. I just couldn't remember what they called the game because I, I when I first got it, I like taped on the bottom of it the rules, you know. But then after <laughs> I had it for many years, they fell off, and I'm like, I can't remember what this game's called. But I know how you play. You roll two d six, and you got it. You can there's like ten numbers that are flipped up, and you got to flip them down. You know, oh, well, the ten numbers are one through ten, and you got to right. shut as much as possible. I think the person with the lowest score wins at the end. So you want to something like that, <laughs> or maybe it's the highest score. I can't, no, I think it's the lowest score. You want to flip yeah. them all down. That's the idea. So there you go. That's right. another game we've covered. We'll do an entire episode on that. <laughs> that was the longest close ever. So thanks so much. I will uh, stop recording here. Hopefully we'll have you back again. Okay. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jason, for being on. If you guys would like to have your voice on the show, you can check the show notes. There's a link to Anchor where you can leave a message. Also a link to my Discord. You can send me a private message there. And there's a link to my Patreon if you'd like to support the channel. I'll talk to you soon.